Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmart, your complete tool center. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Yes, a very good afternoon, everyone. Thanks to uh, Paul Hazelby and also Damien Martin. The run home with Hayes and Marto returns again tomorrow afternoon between 3 and 5 here on SEN. Wherever you may be listening, on SEN Track 657, on SEN Spirit 621 in Bunbury in the southwest, uh, in the gold fields at SEN Kalgoorlie 1611, DAB Plus, SEN Peel, and on the SENWA app. As I said, wherever you may be listening, thanks for joining us. And you can join us anytime on the Tempera Bedshed text line 0487 736 736. Bedshed, experts in temper mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases. You can check the range of temper products in store or visit bedshed.com.au. As you heard in the run home, a bit of news coming out of the Eagles and just confirmed it was spoken about and written about about a few days ago regarding Nick Natanui, a two-year contract, but it's officially come out from the Eagles that he, and also developing tall, and Bailey Williams have formally signed two-year contract extensions. Uh, the two-time John Worsfold medalist Natanui uh, has already been a pretty busy off-season. As we heard, he's about to become a father, which certainly will be his priority but then he'll launch into a very, very extensive pre-season to make sure he's right for 2023. And, of course, Bailey Williams. I know Scotty Cummings, uh, who I broadcast the West Coast Eagles matches with him during the course of the season, was uh, quite impressed. He reckoned there's a lot of upside in Bailey Williams, and no doubt the West Coast Eagles see it that way as well by offering, like Nick Natanui, a two-year deal. Well, this morning on uh, the breakfast program, uh, SNWA Breakfast with Goss and Scotty, West Coast confirmed it's absolutely in the race for Luke Jackson. Their list manager is Rowan O'Brien. He said this. So genuinely chasing Luke Jackson. Because a lot of people would say, and it's a done deal, he's going to Frio, seven years and whatever millions of dollars, and the West Coast are only in there for the spoiler to make Fremantle have to pay the extreme and top dollar to get the deal done with Melbourne. You're saying that genuinely you would like to get Luke Jackson to your football club? Absolutely. Wow. So you, you, you and is there an air of confidence there at all? Oh, there's a, an air of confidence that we think we can convince him and we can uh, hopefully get the deal done. Um, but as I said, uh, opportunities like Luke don't come along very often. So, Uh, When they do come along, you'd be remiss not to explore them and put your best foot forward. So there you go. That's uh, Rowan O'Brien on SENWA Breakfast this morning with Goss and also Scotty. Uh, It has the capital West Coast to trade for him, while it should have also the salary cap to squeeze the outgoing demon in. Now, securing Jackson, though, would come at a cost, and they've already felt the cost of getting, of course, uh, another high-profile player in. Uh, in Tim Kelly from Geelong a couple of seasons ago. 
But the Eagles with arguably now in a rebuild phase and therefore entering arguably their most crucial list management period in years, they do face a delicate balancing around how hard they pursue Jackson because there is some good local talent that'll be at the top end of this year's AFL draft. It'd be very interesting to see how it does play out. Just before we leave the West Coast Eagles, interesting also in that same interview this morning that Rowan O'Brien spoke about what sort of value the West Coast Eagles would be keen to get after Willie Rioli or Junior Rioli outlined that he's preferred club of choice after requesting to the Eagles that he wants to be traded is Port Adelaide. So the Eagles want something in return for Junior. Uh, yeah, look, it's an interesting question. We, In our eyes, it's pretty significant because of the the type of player he is and the quality he is and the age that he is, and we think he's approaching his best footy. So we haven't sat down as a group to work out what that looks like at the moment. Um, in our eyes, it's really up to Port now to come to us with a, a satisfactory deal that um, will allow us to agree to the trade. And if they can't do that, um, then there's potentially other avenues. Um, you know, there was in preliminary discussions, there was other clubs uh, have interest in junior. So whilst we'll, we'll try and deal with Port, if they come up with uh, something that's, um, that, that we're happy with, we'll do that trade. If not, we'll will potentially look at other avenues. So there you go. Uh, and there's no guarantee. I think it'll work out because most time these things do work out. But Junior Rioli will go to his club of choice, and that's Port Adelaide. But if a deal can't be done, that he may end up somewhere else. But I just think that's only a play on words. I, I think that it, certainly a deal will be done and Junior will be looked after. And even though West Coast Eagles, and in particular Trevor Nisbet, was pretty disappointed, bitterly disappointed yesterday in that statement that came out from the West Coast Eagles about uh, Rioli requesting a uh, trade to Port Adelaide, that they'll do whatever they can to get him there and, of course, get, get the necessary compensation back. Trade period starts on October the 3rd. We're going to speak to Paul Pios, the former West Coast Eagles player, who's now a player manager, about the dynamics and what uh, the manager does play, what significant part, uh, if any, he plays in a situation like Willie Rioli's, like Luke Jackson's, like Rory Lobb going to the Western Bulldogs. And what's interesting that I was told in setting up this chat with Paul Pios today is that these conversations happen during the course of the year. So players are in contact, a contract, yet they are contacted by clubs during the course of the season, about potentially moving elsewhere. Now, Paul's going to tell us more about that when I welcome him on the program in a little while. Also coming up later, we're going to talk a bit of rugby because it's quite bizarre. And Mick Collis is my rugby expert. It's quite bizarre that they're playing the Bledisloe Cup match between the All Blacks and the Wallabies on a Thursday night, that is tomorrow night, in Melbourne, and they're playing it at the Dockland Stadium, which is bizarre. So um, we're going to find out. Mixed certainly scathing. He reckons uh, rugby have uh, become so paranoid of not getting people along that they shifted it to Thursday because they weren't sure whether there'd be a Saturday night final in Melbourne that would have clashed with the rugby. 
and hence it would have been an embarrassing look for the sport. Anyway, that's all coming up. Don't go away. We'll take a break. Uh, Paul Pios is not far away here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. It's all thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre. And, of course, you can join us on the Temperate Bedshed text line, as I mentioned, 0487 736 736 or the Scarborough Toyota open line, call 13 12 55. Okay, if you're a betting person, where do you think Luke Jackson will end up? Is there a chance that he could go to the West Coast Eagles? Or do you think, as has been the dialogue over the last even couple of months, that he uh, is likely to end up at Frio. Love to hear your thoughts on that on the Temper of Bedshed text line 0487 736 736. And as we go to the break, uh, the head of football at Melbourne is uh, former coach Alan Richardson. And this is what he said about Luke Jackson. And then we'll come back with Paul Pios after the break here on Drive. We're disappointed to lose Jacko. There's no doubt about that. The conversations all year um, led us to believe there was, a, there was a real understanding and want potentially for Jacko to head back home and the upside in him is, um, is is going to be quite amazing so yeah we'll be looking for the right level of compensation we'll look to replace both the talent and um, and, and the position i'm not going to get, get caught up in specifics um, particularly for players that are that are still contracted the drive show with peter vlahos toolmark your complete tool center proudly wa owned and operated for over 40 years Yes, yeah, great to have your company wherever you may be listening around this state of Western Australia. Peter Vlahos with you on Drive. And, of course, tomorrow night we'll have all the four preliminary finals teams. Kim Hagdon will join us in the studio to digest all the news during the week and also to analyse and preview those two preliminary finals, one on Friday night and, of course, one mid-afternoon our time. Around about 2.45 it gets underway. The second one from Sydney between Sydney and Collingwood. A lot has been written and spoken about the fact that the trade period starts on October the 3rd and already there's been players like Willie uh, Junior Rioli, uh, like the likes of Luke Jackson and others that are requesting trades from their existing clubs to other clubs and we're waiting for more to drop even today. Of course, uh, Saint star Ben Long officially told the club he wants out and he wants to be traded to the Gold Coast Suns. So I thought I'd get behind the dynamics of a player manager in this part of a football season. It's certainly a lot of speculation. And and tell you what, there's more written about player movement sometimes at this stage of the year than the games itself. A man that was an inaugural West Coast Eagles squad member, played over 50 games for the Eagles, of course, played with the Brisbane Bears for a couple of seasons as well. And uh, an East Perth uh, captain, uh, of course, in the WAFL in the late 1990s is Paul Pios, now a player manager. He joins us on the program. Paul, thanks for your time. Nice to be with you, Pete. Yeah, I know I've got you in the car and you're commuting, so we appreciate your time. Uh, I know you've got some family commitments tonight, so again, thanks for spending a couple of moments with us. The role of a player manager, of which you at the moment act on behalf of a, a band of players that you look after, has become a growing profession inside the AFL system in recent times? Um, the agent industry specifically? Yes. Unbelievably, yeah, it, it, it has. It's still a very young, formative industry, in, in my view. You know, going back as a 
as a player at the time that I finished as an AFL player. There was probably only just a touch of um, some of the um, some of the players getting some external advice to come in and help through those contract negotiations as as things um, went along the line. But once the CBA started kicking in, the AFL competition itself um, and the income came up, that industry um, has grown. I think there. Are, not exactly sure. We've got the AFLPA conference next week, but I, I think they're up to 90 to 100 agents in Australia um, for AFL men's and women's. Might even be more than that now, I think, with the women's. That's amazing. Uh, so when you left from West Coast at the end of that premiership season in 92 and went to the Brisbane Bears in 1993, who orchestrated that move for you? Um, that was sort of generated a little bit by a club, but, but a lot of the circumstances are, are pretty similar as they exist today, but just without the uh, the manager as a third party standing in between. I think Brisbane um, saw that Eagles had a pretty good year, had good depth, and um, I sort of played half the year, and um, so I think they'd sort of approached through Eagles, but got to me directly. Scott Clayton, funnily enough, was the um, um, was the football manager at that period of time. So we had a meet and a discussion about it. Um, and there was follow-up discussions with uh, Trevor at the Eagles at that point in time. And I, I had an option to continue. Um, but I was really looking to see if I could play more footy. Uh, I knew mm. I had limited time. Uh, I had a chat with you earlier in the day, and I was quite surprised when you said, uh, particularly in the case of Rory Lobb from uh, the Fremantle Dockers, you know, we've been talking about the fact that he's been wanting to supposedly get out of Fremantle and head to the Western Bulldogs, where he's been offered a four-year deal. And you said to me, it's not out of uh, order for players, maybe through managers, to be contacted by other clubs while they're still on contract with their existing club. Yeah, very much so. I think that's that's an area where a manager probably plays a, a key part of the role in that um, without clubs being highly distractive, I would think, and going and knocking on another uh, another club's player's door um, unannounced or otherwise, um, there's, a, there's a contact person that you can express an interest that... Um, um, you might be interested in seeing what the likelihood is the player sort of moving and what his contract terms is. Is he happy? Um, how's it all transpiring? And we think there might be somewhere for you to come in and play a role in us going forward. So, the, And those conversations sort of happen a bit, really, sort of almost ongoing. So you would go or a manager would go to a player and say, in June, July, hypothetically, and say, Mate, I've got a very good deal for you at another club for next year. They will pay you exponentially more and they'll give you a longer-term contract. So you would have a conversation. I'm not saying you personally, but a manager would have a conversation with the player maybe in the middle of the season when he's trying to focus on a week-to-week situation and do his best for his existing club, knowing deep down inside there's a chance that he could be leaving. Well, look. I think a very good manager needs to be really transparent about uh, um, how how that comes through. But you are right, it, it's a challenge, particularly for a young player. I've been in these situations before when 
um, something is presented to you and, and really you've got an obligation to keep your client fully informed. Um, and I think you assess that at that's not a time to be making decisions, and that's what I reiterate to my players. Your, your, your noted as has been lodged. You're contracted to where you are existing. Your performance is your is your currency. So you concentrate on your performance and some of the things. I I can have some follow up conversations and get a bit more detail about what's happening through, and we'll reconvene later in the year when. Um, um, you get to that point, but generally you got to keep them informed. But I think good professional players can work through that. Yeah, it's, well, and it's I, interesting it's, also, uh, Paul, looking at Luke Jackson's form, which I reckon tapered off in the second half of the season. But saying that Melbourne's uh, season tapered off as well. But I'm just wondering how much it played on his mind. He's only a 20 year old. He's going to be 21 shortly, but he's only a 20 year old. And they're talking about millions of dollars, $900,000 a year, seven years maybe at Fremantle. Surely a 20-year-old isn't mature enough, regardless of how good he is, to handle that sort of speculation and take it on the chin and focus on what he needs to do. I agree with you absolutely, completely. And I've I've seen it right at the coalface often. I think eventually um, that sort of projection pressure and you're particularly right about a young player when when that comes into bear over a consistent period of time and and it's not about making decisions but you're you amazing Luke's situation I don't know anything about it but if you, you've sort of made up your own mind about where you're going but you then still want to perform the best you can through to your to your last game um, it can be really draining and you've got all that external pressure you open a paper you're there your teammates are, you know, thinking, oh, yeah, you're gone or you're here. And, you know, it's just, I think he's done well to, to really stand up and continue to play and work mm. into the final. I mean, he has high expectations on him, but he's, a, he's an excellent young player. You mentioned transparency there. And let me throw you this. Uh, and I've thrown it up a couple of times. You know, the rugby league system in the NRL, players declare once a deal is done, to leave an existing club and go to another club the following season but still play, yet the information comes out that the contract is signed mid-season. What's your thoughts on the way it works in the NRL and could it work in the AFL? After all, they're both professional sets of sports people playing a football code. Well, I follow follow the NRL very closely and uh, got deep amongst it when uh, I was at Queensland AFL football. Um, but that, they've been very mature, I, I call it mature, but uh, the players moving between clubs just has has been different in the NRL to um, to these factors that have tended to overweigh in the, in the AFL about loyalties. And, but uh, I, I think it's dissipating and um, I, I, I sense in the future... Um, the way things are transpiring with contracts and discussions, and like I said, the discussions are getting are getting had, and I think that uh, um, there's a lot of time that gets talked about whether someone goes and whether, whether someone goes. There's almost a commonality about what happens about how you get through that, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. but I think the decision of saying, you know, as a young player, I think the decision of saying I'm going. Um, is, uh, is a challenging one 
and then you've got to deal with everything that comes with that along the way. And the other part being is that it might make indications that there's so many things that can happen in half a year of footy as well that might not end up happening. Yeah, fair call. Finally, Paul, I'll let you get back to your personal commitments. Is Okay, in the case of Rory Lobb, uh, reportedly his family or his partner's family live in Melbourne and he wants to go and live in Melbourne with her and uh, her parents and all that, which is fair enough. But normally, a player will move for one major reason, and that is the financial remuneration that they will get from another club. Is that basically the crux of everything? Because loyalty's out the window now, isn't it? It's more about the financial gain and the stability a player can get with a long-term contract because we've seen seven-year contracts uh, become more frequent these days. Um, you know, I don't think it's all about financial, just financial. I, I think I think there's a bit of a, a, a lot around tenure. Um, you know, if a player somewhere has got a one or two contract and it's not, not fit, feels like he's in the key part of that element and someone else sees you as being longer and then you take less money and longer career to keep flying your trade. But there's also a lot about, I think young players haven't changed too much from the AFL from the whole time I've come through from, from a young bloke is that most players want to be in a team that's going to have success. And, you, and you've, got to, you've got to negotiate your financial way in and around around being able to do that. And I think you see some of the best teams and the teams that win, everybody compromises a little bit financially um, to try and be in that team that's going to um, gonna win. Yeah, fair call. Uh, Good on you, Paul. Thanks for joining us, mate. Really appreciate it. And give us an insight on how the player-manager works uh, at this time of every AFL footy season with, uh, of course, the uh, trade period and the draft not too far away. Thanks for your time. We'll talk again soon. Good to chat, Pete. Good on you. Paul Pios, player, manager, former West Coast Eagle and Brisbane player as well. It was a fine player, but unfortunately, injury sort of took its toll a bit on Paul Pios during his career. Of course, a part of the inaugural West Coast Eagles squad back in 1987. Now doing some good things as a player manager. We're going to take a short break and then come back and talk a bit of rugby. Just going back to football, of course, there is a big match happening on the weekend, we have got the Sydney-Collingwood game that everybody is talking about. Okay, there's been a lot of speculation on uh, Friday night regarding Geelong and Brisbane, and particularly the fact that Jared Berry, the midfielder for the Lions, uh, escaped the AFL tribunal sanction last night and is free to play. In fact, his midfield teammate and one of the Brownlow medal fancies, uh, Lockie Neal, said this on Jared Berry getting off. Yeah, that's great. Great news. And um, I, I sort of tried to follow a little bit of the case and heard some people um, saying that when he's in that vulnerable position that it would be so hard to tell sort of what he was doing at that moment. So completely agree and, um, yeah, think that the right decision was made. So really happy for Jared um, and for us. So, yeah. That's great news. That's Lockie Neal. This is Patrick Dangerfield, who will come up against Barry, being, of course, a, a cat star. And this is what he said on Barry's suspension being overturned. Yeah, it didn't surprise me. It's a tough one. I mean, you, you're on the ground. You're trying to get up. I don't. It's very difficult to sort of get your fingers in there and just jab up. I think you're just trying all you can to get back in the play. You know, as a player, if, if you know, Jared had that job that he's, he's starting to get under the skin of Clayton and, and Clayton's better off 
you know, if you're Brisbane, you're like, well, prefer him in, in a wrestle than focusing on the ball. So yeah, it didn't surprise me. I think, you know, in that scenario, you're just trying to get up. You're doing everything you can. And that doesn't mean that you're aiming for the eyes, but you're trying to push him off. And there's Patrick Dangerfield. He's spin on it all. We'll take a break. Come back with more in a moment. Uh, this is Drive with Peter Vlahos. You can join us anytime on the Temperate Bedshed text line 0487 736 736 or the Scarborough Toyota open line 131255. There's a significant event on uh, tomorrow night, and I had to actually look twice to see that it's being played on Thursday night. I'm talking about game one of the Bledisloe Cup between Australia and New Zealand. We played at uh, Marble Stadium or the Dockland Stadium there in Melbourne, which is primarily a footy ground where I thought that most of the matches uh, when it comes to rugby, we played at uh, Amy Stadium, which is a rectangular stadium. So I thought I'd open up by speaking to my rugby expert here on uh, SEN Drive, Mick Collis, about those two interesting scenarios, and then we'll get into the match in general. Mickey, a very good evening to you. Yeah, good Pete. Always good to talk to you. Why are they playing Thursday night? Such an important match. Oh, mate, I, it's, it's very frustrating for me. I, I, for me, it's a sign in the lack of confidence Rugby Australia has got in their own products because they didn't... The match was always going to be played in Melbourne. That was part of the deal they teed up with the government. And they didn't want to have it Saturday night because they thought there might have been two AFL games in Melbourne. And they thought if rugby was trying to compete with those two games, it, it just wouldn't get any media coverage and the interest would be very low. As it turns out, those two games, by the way the AFL worked out with the results on the weekend, there are no games in Melbourne on the Saturday night. So they thought, well, they, they keep it on the Friday because that had already been locked away. So the main reason was to try and avoid that conflict with AFL. So for me, if you go to a market where you're not going to get any media, well, don't go to that market. Don't take the money and actually look after your supporters in the game because I don't think anyone's... I've got friends in Melbourne who haven't heard that it's even on. Mm. And it's a Thursday night, so no one's expecting... No one's expecting to be watching rugby on a Thursday night. So it's a really... And, you know, even in Perth here, there's... Uh, there was a story in the paper today about because they've brought back Bernard Polly, which I'm sure we'll get on to, but there's just no... You've really got to look hard to find information about the game, and that's where it's struggling. It's not It's not in front of people that aren't necessarily the rusted-on fans that know what's going on. But there's great... And then in terms of where... You go you on. Yeah, you go. I was going to say, and then in terms of the venue, I think... So if, So this Marble Stadium, or we used to call Docklands, is that the one down near the water? Yes, Right, so because that's where they play down the, the west end, lines. the west end, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, if it's if it's near the water, there's a um, near uh, I think Channel Seven's down there somewhere. If, uh, that's the ground. You're that's right. The one where yeah, they that's against. right. Channel Seven's headquarters are down that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where they played the Lions and the Wallabies played when the last time the Lions were out here. Um, and I think I, I don't think that the I think it's called Amy Park, which is where the Melbourne Correct. Storm and the Melbourne Rebels play. Yep. I don't think that's got the capacity. I think that might only hold maybe 30,000. So mm-hmm. I, I do know they've got a fairly good crowd. I'm not sure what Marvel holds. And again, it's all about greed and, and money. <laughs> so they're, they're not going to go to a small, perfectly built rugby ground because they won't make enough money. So they'll rather go and give the fans not as good an experience, but make more money. Uh, and I know I'm being very cynical there, Pete, yeah, but... Um, it's, it's all about the dollars. Yeah, but saying that, uh, there's nothing bigger 
when it comes to Australian sporting heritage than the Bledisloe Cup against New Zealand. I had a look at it. They've played 152 test matches dating back many, many years. Okay, New Zealand have dominated over Australia. But saying that, uh, the Bledisloe Cup is the Bledisloe Cup, and I reckon they've watered it down by doing what they've done by playing it tomorrow night. Uh, They should be confident enough that it could stand on its own two legs. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I just think it was embarrassing when they folded, thinking, oh, we can't compete against. And then they didn't want to go Friday night because they, the Melbourne Storm might have a game. So they put themselves basically as a third-tier sport for that for that game. And, and, and that game, the Bledisloe Cup, I mean, yeah, there's the Rugby Championships, which has been on, that no one really cares about. It, it's kind of, it's just an event they have every year. But the Bledisloe Cup, that's got the romance about it. You don't need to be a rugby fan to know about the Bledisloe Cup. So if you're a a non-rugby fan in Melbourne or anywhere in Australia, and you hear about the Bledisloe Cup and it's coming to town, you're more than likely to go along. And we saw that here. I mean, I think I still think that the record um, attendance mm. at Optus Stadium is that Bledisloe Cup game that we had here, which is a non-traditional rugby market. So I, I just, yeah, I really can't understand why they did that. And surely, I mean, Melbourne, they talk about being the sporting capital of Australia and there's, what, five or six million people in Melbourne, the two AFL games might have accounted for maybe 150,000. So you've still got six and a half million people able to go and watch your rugby game. So I just found it a really negative, defeatist attitude by Rugby Australia to do it on that Thursday night, which is, you know, that's your shopping night. Thursday night you go shopping. No one's thinking about rugby. So a real (laughs) shame. As I said, they get a good crowd, but just very disappointing that they did decide to do it on the Thursday. Yeah. A lot of Kiwis live in uh, Melbourne too. They all ought to have all gone. And what's more interesting is that Australia got a chance to win it because they have not won the Cup since 2002 and they've got maybe a chance to kickstart their attempt to end that drought tomorrow night because, to be fair, both nations are out of form. Yeah, it's it's been a really weird rugby championship because everyone's won one and lost one, which is really unusual. So we saw the... All Blacks um, got beaten by Argentina, which was the first time they'd ever been beaten on New Zealand soil by Argentina. And then the next week, they've gone around and put 50 points on the Argentinians. And then the Australians, we beat South Africa, the reigning world champions in in Adelaide. And then the next week in Sydney, uh, we got towed up by them. So we're going into the game off a loss. The All Blacks are coming in off a win. But, But for me... I mean, yes, people are saying that the old All Blacks are vulnerable because they, they haven't been playing as consistently well as they have, but neither have we. And as we spoke about the Bledisloe Cup, so my young bloke's 19. He has never been alive to see Australia have <laughs> the Bledisloe Cup. So the Bledisloe Cup, for me, is is the grand final for for both of these teams. And I think the All Blacks, they will cherish that record I mean, Australia are desperate and would like to have it. But if we don't win it, well, it's another year that we haven't got it. Whereas if the All Blacks lose it, well, they've lost something they've held for 19 years. So psychologically, I think that this contest means more to them than it does to us. Obviously, we want to win it. There's no doubt about that. But I just think that they will come out, their their passion and desire to defend it I think, will override our passion and desire to win it. Okay, You mentioned it a bit earlier, but Australia's going to parade their fourth number 10 this season in Bernard Foley. Tell us more. Oh. (laughs) Yep. So it's our fourth number 10. So we started off, we keep just digging for the veterans. So we started with Quay Cooper came back last year for the Springbok games and, and played well, so we wanted to use him. He's torn his Achilles, so he's gone. So they gave James O'Connor, who's... The, I think, so Quaid's 35, James O'Connor's 33 or 34. 
So James O'Connor, he got injured. Or first he didn't play well, so they dropped him. Then he got injured on the weekend playing club rugby up in, in Brisbane. Um, Noah Lolasio, the young guy that they threw in, he's been in and out, in and out. He's got concussion, so he's out. So they've gone to a guy called Bernard Foley, who last played for the ball in 2019. He's been playing rugby up in Japan. And for me, I just cannot for the life of me understand why they've gone down that way. Again, he's a 33-year-old bloke, not even playing in Australia. They've got a couple of guys, um, Donaldson and Tane Edmed from the Waratahs. Donaldson's been in the Wallaby camp, but they're not playing him. And this Tane Edmed, they took him away on the Australia A Tour. So you've got Super Rugby, and then you've got the Wallabies. So we've now put in an Australia A program to try and bridge that gap between Super Rugby and International Rugby. So this guy's been in that Australia A program. So the only other way for him to go is up to the Wallabies. That's that's what you've got to do. You've got to come a time where you pick the guy from that and trust him to say, yep, we've done everything right with you. You've done everything right by us. You're playing for Australia. But they won't do it. So they won't risk these... They call, they're calling it a risk. I think you've got to give these guys an opportunity. And they're too scared to put these guys in untried to a test match. They're pulling in these old guys that have played... You know, Yes, they've got great experience and they were good players, but they've left Australian shores. They're playing overseas they're gone. You've got to move forward. You can't keep bringing these old guys back. So you've got a guy like Tane Edbed. He'll be thinking, why am I, Australian, why am I staying in Australian rugby? Mm. Why don't I go to France or England or Japan and hoover up a whole lot of coin instead of biding my time, doing everything right? I mean, he's played against, all these guys that he would play against on Thursday night, he's played against already in Super Rugby. So it's not these superhumans coming from another planet. They're Kiwis that he's already played against. So Rugby Australia have got to back the talent that they've got, and these guys are good, so give them the chance. And as I said, we haven't won the thing for 19 years. If we lose it again, it's not really going to matter. So let's blood these guys. We've got a World Cup coming next year. I don't think Foley's going to be around for the World Cup. So all of a sudden, we'll start next year in a World Cup year, and we still don't know who our number 10's going to be. We're relying on O'Connor and, and Cooper and Foley, all these guys that are 33, 34, 35, whereas these young guys just aren't getting a chance. It drives me nuts. I love it. I love your passion, Mickey, and it's coming across uh, the radio airwaves as well. Really do sense your frustration. Saying that, the game's on tomorrow night at Marvel Stadium under the roof, I gather, and how can the Wallabies beat the All Blacks? A couple of the broadcasters and a couple of... Uh, players are saying more brutality. Is that how you beat the All Blacks? No, I don't think so. The All Blacks have picked a really a, a big pack and Australia has responded. So our, our back row, uh, we've got a guy called Rob Valentini at number eight, Pete Samu at number seven and Rob Leota at number six. Now, they're all they're all big Islander players. And interestingly, they're all, all three of them were born in Melbourne. So it's a really great thing for those, for their family and friends, for these Melbourne-born guys to be actually the back row for the Wallabies in a test in Melbourne. So we've picked a team. We had a guy called Fraser McWright who was um, very good in the test match against uh, the Springboks in Adelaide, but he got a bit you know, pushed around in Sydney. So Australia has, has put, beefed up their pack to try and counter that, that big, abrasive, physical way that the All Blacks will play. For me, the way we've got to beat the All Blacks is just to, to outrun them. I think we've got to just try and play a really wide, expansive game and just run these blokes around and not get involved in that hard sort of up-front physical battle because if, if the, the All Blacks' backs are as, are as... They're probably better than ours. Certainly their 9-10 is, is a lot better than ours. So if if we get into that battle where it's constantly a fight for the ball, we're going to lose it and then they'll get the ball and their backs are probably better than ours. So I think we've got to try and just run this ball, 
play a really up-tempo, fast game, just make it a different style of game to what the All Blacks want to play. And hopefully that's the way we might steal the win just because it's a bit of a shock to them. Mm. Good on you, Mickey. I love it. Great report tonight, mate. And uh, we'll touch base with you maybe even across the weekend. I haven't got a program uh, tomorrow night, of course, AFL selection night. So I might have a chat to you across the weekend about the, the Bledisloe Cup before game two. Thanks for joining us tonight, mate. My pleasure, Pete. Let's hope it's a Wallaby win. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. Uh, Mickey Collins talking uh, rugby. Uh, Bledisloe Cup, uh, first match tomorrow night, the Wallabies against uh, the All Blacks. Just some other news. James Hurd reportedly uh, has been interviewed for the job at Essendon. We'll see how that goes down. And uh, Rory Lobb, quite a few media outlets, no surprise. The worst kept secret in uh, football on this side of the country. Uh, Rory Lobb has officially requested a trade to the Western Bulldogs. And I think here at SENWA, and not patting him on the back, but Kim Hagdorn sort of mentioned that weeks and weeks and weeks ago for anybody got a hold of it. And uh, it looks like being a four-year deal. So Rory Lobb has finally said, I want to trade to the Western Bulldogs. Can I tell you something? Happy time at the Bulldogs, Rory, because you're the most frustrating footballer I broadcast this season for the Fremantle Dockers. You were so up and down. It was like a yo-yo. Anyway, it's 16 to 6. We'll come back with more in a moment. Uh, We'll also bring you up to date on uh, Lance Franklin. Where is he at? Will he play on Saturday against the Magpies? You'll hear from him and others after the break here on Drive. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmark, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Just updating sport for tyre power. Buy three and get one free on selected Kumo passenger car and SUV tyres at Tyre Power. Australia shot to the top of Group C with a faultless uh, three-love Davis Cup victory over Belgium. Jason Kubler, Alex Demonor gave the Aussies an unassailable two-love lead with wins in the singles. The four WA's Matt Ebden and Max Purcell, who have become a very good doubles combination, rounded off a perfect opening day in Hamburg with victory in the doubles and Australia in the same qualifying group as France and Germany. When Lewis Hamilton lost the 2021 Formula One world title, Max Verstappen in that controversial final race in Abu Dhabi, remember that? Few could have anticipated that uh, the Britain struggles in 2022. So we fast forward nine months and the seven-time world champion is now staring down the barrel of his first winless season in 15 years. Hamilton finished fifth behind race winner Verstappen in last weekend's Italian Grand Prix in Monza and admits that his prospects of tasting victory this year are slim at best. Of course, uh, Verstappen could clinch the second world championship at the next round in Singapore, which is on October the 2nd, after taking the 11th win of his title defence at the Italian GP. And finally, Aussie selectors have not taken any chances with a number of stars in their whirlwind tour of India ahead of the T20 World Cup. Now, veteran open David Warner has been left out of the squad to receive some rest ahead of the Blitz six-day tour of India, ahead of Australia's World Cup defence. Also having a rest to recover from injury, Mitchell Stark with a knee, uh, Mitch Marsh has got an ankle complaint. Marcus Stoinis a side problem, and they'll remain at home ahead of the tour. So uh, Nathan Ellis, Daniel Sams, and Sean Abbott have been added to the squad. So that update uh, in sport, thanks to Tire Power. Buy three and get one free on selected Kumo passenger car and SUV tyres at Tire Power.
I'd mentioned Rory Lobb. Rapoli has requested a trade. That's been reported in a few media circles to the Western Bulldogs, and it appears that also Blake Akers today at his exit meeting has requested a trade to Carlton. There were some shots of Blake Akers and Darcy Tucker actually emptying their lockers there at the Fremantle Dockers home base at Coburn and putting it in the back of their cars. Uh, and whether that's a sign, because Darcy Tucker, the Victorian, the 25-year-old, could also be involved in uh, looking at a, another home uh, after sort of being an in-and-out player at the Dockers. I think he's been there for about seven years at Fremantle. So there you go, Darcy Tucker and also Blake Akers emptying their lockers today, spotted by the media down there at Coburn. Let's look at the, uh, the first of the two semi-finals or the preliminary finals I should say happening on Friday night and uh, we've got Geelong and Brisbane and Patrick Dangerfield of course you heard earlier talking about the Jared Berry suspension well here he is on dealing with what has been for Geelong one game in 27 days it's that balance of like escaping footy for a little bit because you can't just be on for two straight weeks in the lead up to a game that is you know 13 14 days away so there's you know, a couple of days off early in the week. And then training last Friday was, that was on. We were out at Deakin, so simulating the MCG dimensions, et cetera. And it's on for, for young and old. Because the competition for spots is, it's very much open. So, you know, I, and I don't think the 22 from la, the last game for this game is a fait accompli. It, you know, it, it, there's still a few up for grabs. So it was it was as hot as... You know, I can remember in the postseason, uh, which is, you know, there's a few little scraps as well. So that's a, it's a really strong position to be in, I think. Okay, let's go to Sydney and Collingwood. You heard from Collingwood a bit earlier on. Well, Sydney's Tom Harley, the CEO, was making comment today on Lance Franklin's future and the poor showing against Melbourne. It's as, it, as we reported it um, and Lance put out a statement, oh, when was that probably four to six weeks ago now? That um, you know, he was clearly he was clearly contemplating life, contemplating footy, um, contemplating his future, um, and we were clearly charging towards at that point a, a finals berth. So we made what I think was a really sort of sensible decision to park that lance. You know, take your time. We're not in a hurry. You focus in on your footy, and he's he's done that. Um, so there's no uh, there's there's nothing further to update, but also nothing to to be too concerned about. Lance is, is locked in on what he's doing. And, and with specific regard to um, the Melbourne game, um, Stephen May played as good a game as a, a key back can play, I think. Um, and sometimes you just have to tip your hat to that. Um, uh, you know, Lance still had his moments in, in generating energy for the team, but um, he's, he, I was speaking about John being a fierce competitor. Um, Lance is right up there in that category as well. Um, so he'll be looking to respond. He loves playing at the SCG. He's living in the moment. Um, and uh, as far as everyone watching him, just enjoy what he's doing at the moment. And, you know, personally, I hope he, I hope he plays for as long as he wants to keep playing. So um, uh, I'm sure he's, a, well, I know he's absolutely set to go for Saturday. There you go. Tom Harley talking about Lance Buddy Franklin, because it was even talked that he might even struggle to hold his place in the side for the preliminary final on Saturday. That was never going to happen. So there you go. It's been a busy show. Just confirming that West Coast Eagles this morning and we had their head of list uh, manager, uh, Rowan O'Brien, confirming they're absolutely in the race for Luke Jackson. It has the uh, capital to trade for him, while it should have also the salary cap to squeeze the outgoing uh, Jackson in. So we'll see how that develops.
over coming days. Thanks for joining us on the program today. I'll be back tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Kim Hagdon will join us here in the SENWA studios. We'll get the preliminary final teams to you and then we'll talk about all the events that have occurred so far during the course of the week and we welcome your calls and texts as well. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Jimmy. Have a great Wednesday night. See you tomorrow at 5 here on SEN.